to the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington, and from Phoenix, Arizona. With me today is astrologer Patrick Watson. Say hi, everyone, Patrick. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yep. You couldn't be more welcome. It's great to have you back. And uh, I'm really excited to have you for this specific episode because it's kind of going to cap off what I've been working on for a while with the pod, which is all of the candidates. And interestingly enough, one candidate uh, during the primary got skipped uh, because this candidate dropped out so early, and it's Kamala Harris. And now she is front and center. So Patrick was nice enough to come on and, uh, and look at Kamala's astrology with me. Thank you so much, Patrick, for making time. Oh, no, yeah, no problem. This will be fun. So I think um, I definitely want to do uh, her zodiacal releasing with you um, as uh, kind of that Hellenistic uh, focus is really your ballywick. But before we do that, let me just um, let me share with you uh, her chart. It's great that we actually have um, a birth time for her. And so for uh, Kamala, and I'm going to call her Cami sometimes, which is um, it's kind of inside baseball, but uh, it's what folks who know her politically call her. For whatever reason, I ended up starting to call her that when she was elected uh, to the Senate in California. I can't break myself of the habit. Maybe when she's president, I will get, I'll start using the full Kamala Harris. But <laughs> So please, anyone out there who might be offended, forgive me. So for Kamala Harris, we have October 20th, 1964 at 9.28 p.m. in Oakland, California. So Kami or Kami is a Bay Area resident. So we have uh, 24 degrees Gemini rising. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start off and I, I think we could probably spend a little time on here uh, before we get to any transits. What, when you look at this, what is the, what's the first thing that catches your eye? Well, the first thing that catches my eye, and I guess this is sort of part of my own uh, discipline and training, I guess, as you could say with uh, analyzing a chart right off the bat. But I mean, you know, I kind of quickly, you know, notice, okay, we're looking at a nocturnal charts here. Um, you know, we can see that uh, Saturn, you know, recently culminated, even though it's out of sign now. So the main thing that I guess I'm drawn to in terms of interpreting the chart is I can see that she, um, you know, was born with Gemini rising, uh, with the nodes really close to the the eastern horizon, and that the ruler of the first house is that Mercury in Scorpio in the sixth, and. Oh, there it is. <laughs> and um, there's some interesting things we can kind of get from this. Number one, as a sort of mercurial character, uh, we might expect that this person's main way of expressing themselves and kind of working their way through problems in the world is through their intellect and through the means of logic or arguments or through analysis and, and mathematical details and things like that. Um, we also see that in, now typically the sixth house is a cadent place, but one of the, one of the things that really makes this Mercury kind of stand out, well, there's two things that really make this Mercury kind of stand out. Number one, it's within three degrees of a trine to the mid heaven, which mm -hmm. is one of the conditions for angularizing a cadent planet. Uh, so if a planet is in a cadent place, such as the third or the 6th or the ninth, or the 12th, it can be 
angularized if it is making an aspect to an angle within three degrees. And so that is the case for Kamala Harris's Mercury. So we can really tell that this Mercury, um, you know, is what would otherwise be an unremarkable Mercury actually has some kind of firepower to it. Another thing that is really remarkable about this Mercury is she was born within 24 hours of it having ingressed into Scorpio. So this is quite a fast Mercury. Um, you know, it's already one and a half degrees into the sign and it only ingressed into Scorpio basically earlier that day, um, early in the morning hours of that date, the calendar day. So this is a Mercury which is kind of making its uh, announcement and its entrance into the sign. So there's kind of a, a sense that this Mercury has a has some impetus kind of behind it. And so it's getting this strong aspect from the, the midheaven, angularizing it, and it's making this strong ingress. Now, another thing that we might be able to say about this Mercury is the fact that it's in Scorpio, so that means Mars is going to be the, the ruler of Mercury. So, you know, if we were to think, if we, were, if we were to ask, what is this Mercury thinking about? Or, you know, what does this Mercury kind of have to say? Or what is the way in which they say it? Uh, then we would look to the position of Mars, which is in the third in Leo. And so it's interesting that she is known for being a very um, kind of aggressive and effective prosecutor, a lawyer. You know, obviously that's that makes a lot of sense because Mercury is that planet of argumentation, debate, uh, you know, verbal prowess, uh, convincing a jury. I mean, this is this is kind of what she is sort of good at, like uh, you know, going kind of on the attack. Uh, you know, with with Mars ruling this Mercury. I might also add that if uh if we considered that hillary clinton was born at 8 p.m then she would also have had that gemini rising with mercury and scorpio in the sixth house so one of the other things i think was kind of interesting is as i was reading through um her her life um and some of the positions she's held and things she's worked on i thought it was really interesting because you know, the sixth house is the house uh, that deals with like employment and like health issues, injuries, illnesses, and some of the issues she worked on as a uh, as a deputy attorney general. Oh, sorry, a uh, this is actually after she was a deputy district attorney in Alameda. She was appointed to a uh, commission for uh, basically she was appointed to head up the uh, Medi-Cal. It was basically the uh, California's medical uh, mm -hmm. like access program or whatever. Um, and she also worked uh, in on an unemployment uh, uh, bureau of the California government. So I thought those themes were kind of relevant, you know, for, uh, for uh, the, the house position of her Mercury. Now, those are just a couple of jobs that she had, but it makes me wonder if perhaps one of the main like if she were to get into office say that maybe one of the main things she would be able to make some progress on would be perhaps uh uh you know problems that still persist with healthcare. um uh you know who knows maybe maybe that's uh, single payer healthcare. you know uh a boy can dream um <laughs> but yeah, well uh, <laughs> she did come out for it in the primary she uh right yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think uh, in in her role as 
a uh, as as the head of the like board of the medical uh, program in California. She, I think she she helped like save a hospital or something, which I thought was a kind of interesting. Uh, topic obviously for her to be working on so those are the things that kind of come to mind and those are some of the features of her life that kind of i feel like work ways that we kind of see that mercury as the ascendant ruler kind of being brought to life um which is interesting as well because again with the sort of hillary comparison if she was born with gemini rising mercury and scorpio of course hillary was also very well known for her advocacy in healthcare. um so it there is a uh, that that is an interesting uh, potential connection if that was when Hillary Clinton was born. Um, Another so, signifier uh, with that Mercury is it's the sixth house, the house of servants, um, and she does not she doesn't come from the same type of background that a lot of candidates who end up in her position came from. Not only um, she wasn't I mean both of her parents were professors. Uh, so they were at very large, fancy institutions. But she didn't attend Ivy League institutions. She went to a historically black college. Then she went to, you know, a mid-range law school. Um, really, as far as someone who ends up as a vice presidential candidate, you know, in the last 50 years of this country, that, that's a blue-collar background. I mean, she doesn't come from great wealth or, or prestige. She doesn't fit the uh, the, the, the typical... Mo, but I also feel like that's also probably part of the political calculation as well. Oh, for uh, sure. But a bit, but I'm also not diminishing, you know, her, her oh, achievements. No. I mean, honestly, you know, obviously she, you know, knows what she's doing. But I wonder, I kind of wonder if that isn't in some way a reflection of the fact that Mercury would have been cadent, you know, if it also had, if it hadn't been for Mercury making this really strong trying to the MC and Mercury making this kind of dramatic entrance into the sixth house. Um, another thing that we would say about this Mercury as well is we can actually see that this is in a very close Antisha relationship with that Saturn in the ninth. And I think that's probably what gives her that special connection to um, the law. You know, the obviously Saturn in the ninth house could be seen very generally as, you know, an indication that someone's efforts would be, put into some ninth house areas concerning uh, higher education or philosophy or, or, you know, legal thinking law. And uh, of course, Mercury interacting with that Saturn by Contra and Tisha would uh, be a, another special way that Mercury is applying towards uh, legal matters uh, and having, uh, you know, a, a mind which deals with uh, matters of great import. Sorry, if I, if I look slightly distracted, I have the puppy in here, and it's like oh. bedtime. I'm like, should I put her in her crate? And I'm so I'm like, is she just looking for something to eat? She shouldn't. Um, no, I, I agree with you 100. Um, percent Two other things that just flew right off the page at me is that that um, Mercury is answering to uh, Mars in Leo, and, and she very much has garnered a ton of personal attention in the spotlight. Um, through communicating, especially at her time in the Senate. She really took center stage uh, in some of those hearings. Um, uh, well, I mean, and especially in that martial way, you know, I mean, right. her, mm. her, her questioning of uh, the, the Kavanaugh guy, the, you know, the Judge Kavanaugh, her, uh, it, it was a grilling, you know. I mean, you could see the char marks. It was, uh, 
<laughs> she was she was she's pretty good at that like um that seems to be you know something that uh she really kind of takes to you know and um uh she she kind of has that uh i guess martial feistiness you know in her her uh her verbal uh theatrics you know yeah and the way it's she presents herself i mean it's part right. of her affect she's um, sharp oh yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and that sharpness brings her attention. Right. Uh, so two other things I think um, that are just really obvious is, is that Saturn that's in her ninth house of 28th degree and her MC is at the second. So she has Saturn conjunct her MC at the very top of her chart. Um, and she's got that full moon uh, right on. At, oh, yeah, yeah, the full yeah. moon, of course, yeah. <laughs> there is that. Uh, yeah. That exactly, full, I mean, just barely minutes away from being exactly full. Um, the fullest the moon, of moons. Right, and the moon is at 27 uh, Aries. And I, we're going to get into her transits, but, I mean, that's right where retrograde Mars is right now, just right on top of her moon. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is that. Um, yeah, we'll probably have to, to get into what that would mean. I mean, my general interpretation of her having uh, a moon that is kind of that bright, I tend to find that, like, the brightness of the moon you can almost see as an indicator of, like, how loud is the moon representing its topic. So with the with Cancer being the uh, sign of the second house of finances, possessions, I would wonder if having a really, really full moon representing Mattis the second would show a propensity towards being able to make a lot of money, say, especially through, um, you know, political alliances or, or something of, of that nature. Um, I, I did read that. And again, this is not to dismiss any of her, her own accomplishments because she already was a deputy uh, district attorney um, in Alameda County before this happened, but there was, I know there was this sort of uh, minor controversy about the fact that she had received those political appointments I had mentioned um, uh, being part of Medi-Cal and um, that unemployment board uh, where she got that through the San Francisco mayor because she was in a relationship with him at the time. Um, and, and that was uh, kind of a controversy time because it was, those jobs were quite well paid um, obviously she, she managed to distance herself from that, uh, pretty convincingly, um, because I mean, you know, she probably could have done okay even without that sort of, uh, patronage. But I mean, these things also happen in politics all the time. Um, and, uh, but so seeing that the, the, you know, the moon is so full and so bright, uh, in a night chart, you know, representing the second house, it would make me think, oh, this person has a good shot probably at, um, uh, being able to uh, make a lot of money through uh, kind of a, an alliance or, or friend or something. I also like to think of Aries as not having any chill, and she definitely <laughs> has no chill whatsoever. Um, and it, that's really where her resources have come from. She's been uh, striving from day one. Um, you know, her parents left a big wake. Her mom was a cancer researcher. Her grandfather, uh, her mother's father, um, she, her mom was the oldest child um, from, right. a, from a traditional Indian household, and he allowed her to to emigrate to the U.S. and go to graduate school, which is a really big deal in that traditional culture. Uh, and her grandfather, I listened to a couple podcasts with her describing her history. Her grandfather also 
was part of Gandhi's independence um, order uh, or group. I'm, I'm going to choose to not say the name because I'll just screw it up. Um, so she comes from a really interesting um, lineage of people who have a wild hair up their ass. And, uh, and she certainly is following along in their footsteps. Right. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. I hadn't, I hadn't looked much into her, her family history. Um, but that is, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. So I, I really think we should address um, this, uh, uh, the Mars retrograde in her chart in particular. Um, it's yeah. it's, it's going to hit her moon, you know, it's, it's, so we're, we're, we're at number two with it making full contact um, with her sun and moon, because obviously since they're uh, in opposition, <laughs> as a full moon and a sun are, um, I, my initial thought is that there's nothing benefic about uh, a Mars retrograde going over your luminaries. At the same time, uh, we have a native whose moon is in Aries. I mean, she's, she is, uh, Aries energy is not foreign to her. It's not a new thing. The, the ruler of her ascendant, as we were just talking about, is also ruled by Mars. Like, this is a particularly martial person. Even if Mars isn't um, overly determined in her chart, um, I'm not saying that that means... A lot of things connect to it. The satellite right. connects to it. The ascendant rule connects to it. I mean, yeah, that Correct. that's fair to say. Um, and I, so it, it's not to say this is a benefic. Like, this is like a positive omen. This is the thing in this chart you're saying, oh, yeah, this is where we're, we're getting thumbs up. However, um, for a person who's having uh, such a prominent interaction with Mars retrograde, she, I think she's in a pretty good position to um, to use the energy positively. How do you? Am I being overly optimistic? Um, well, one of the major ways you can tell how a person might experience a given planet is its sex status, as well as the planets that it aspects. So when we look at her Mars, it is ameliorated significantly by the fact that she was born at night. Um, I would also say that this Mars. Uh, you know, the next aspect this Mars makes is a square to Jupiter, um, which, while is not so great for Jupiter, is not too bad for Mars, because Mars is, in, a, in effect, receiving that square from Jupiter. And I would not say that the square from Jupiter is something you'd turn your nose up at, you know, even if it is a more uh, confrontational aspect. So I would say that... I would say that her experience with, with Mars would tend to be more constructive and more rewarding for her because uh, planets which are of the sect in favor, you know, like Mars in a night chart, uh, is going to act in ways which are conducive to her own interests. You know, whereas Saturn, maybe, maybe not so much. But even with Saturn, even though, even though her Saturn is the contrary to Sekmalothic, it's in its own sign. And it's also backing up into a square with Jupiter. So it's so even as Saturn is kind of helped out a little bit as well. But her Mars especially is not quite so bad. I would think that, you know, with Mars going retrograde in the 11th house of, uh, of allies, of, of friends, I would wonder if that wouldn't be like... Um, 
attacks from places where you wouldn't expect it. So from putatively people who support you. So we already know that there's a large contingent of people on the left who theoretically you'd expect to be the people who vote for her to still take it a task, you know, over, you know, her over this issue of Mars, you know, and I, I think um, that's kind of going to be a difficult balance for her because at the same time that she's trying to, you know, argue that she's should be able to replace, you know, Trump and Pence, that uh, she also has to still, you know, bridge this gap to appeal to the people whose votes she still needs. Um, so I think that is an odd place for her to kind of be in. And I think that kind of matches the symbolism of Mars going retrograde in the house of friends, divisions with one's alliances. One might even think this could lead to maybe um, perhaps rivalry or bitterness actually between her and Joe Biden, even, you know, if you were to see them as political allies, if they're not, they're not an easy combination because remember she really, I mean, she actually probably made one of the best arguments against Joe Biden during the primary process that that whole uh that that one debate where she went after him of his private previous that that was that was that was there was some blood on the stage like that was a real that was a real stab and it just uh you know biden i guess you know uh i guess is willing to sort of keep his eyes on the the bigger picture here obviously in his his nomination of her you know he he realizes that this is probably someone you want on your side (laughs) rather than someone you want against you. But I would wonder, yeah. Another kind of uh, just really in your face signifier of Mars being retrograde, going backwards in that 11th house of, of allies of the King's money. Another uh, way I like to look at the 11th house is it's your friends from work Uh, is that Joe Biden is, is Mars. I mean, he, he's so Martian. He's got a stellium in uh, Scorpio. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and this is the 11th house, the king's money, your your friends from work, and Mars going backwards. The old old man river, old man Mars, picking her and and making her his main ally. I kind of like that uh, that right. symbolism. Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I think, you know, Mars, we tend to always think in terms of conflict and division, but sometimes I feel like Mars in some ways can be kind of like, the tattoo or the brand, the scar, you know, the, it's kind of, you know, the trial by fire, you know, I mean, because bond through, through martial activity. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like there's kind of, um, there's, I mean, I, I, so I would kind of wonder if, you know, that Mars transit through the 11th would, yeah, be a kind of, uh, a, a way, I mean, if we consider, what this event means in the context of her, her life thus far. She has never been on this. This is a, an unprecedented type of situation. Joe Biden's been here, done that, you know, and a lot of people who are at this stage have kind of been here, done that. But I mean, for her, this is, I mean, she's not totally fish out of water, not like Sarah Palin fish out of water. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, but, uh, but this is, this is pretty new. So I think, you know, having a significant trans like this, you know, at the time that she's going to be in this very, very visible, very, you know, kind of combatable because I think that's kind of her main role here is to be the attack dog for Joe Biden. Um, you know, this is, so Mars going retrograde through her level. This is just, you know, her going to going to, to bat, you know, against uh, Pence. And we can kind of see this, you know, her natal Mars is in, um, 
is in is in the third house. I and mean, this is like you know the debate, the fight, and I think the fight happens. What date? Does that Mars hit a trine yes. to her Mars around the debate? The seventh. We'll we'll get to that. I'll I'll pull that up when we look at the debate. Sure, um, sure. And it's going to be uncomfortable for her. I, it's hard to there's there's so much about uh, Kamala that's out right now, and so much derision. But it's hard to forget that number one, that she's the first African American and the first woman of Indian yeah. uh, descent to be nominated as vice president. Um, she was when she was elected. Uh, Attorney General of California. She was the only woman of color in the entire country elected to a statewide office. And this was not that long ago. So wow. this is someone who is a trailblazer. I mean, you use yeah. the term fish out of water. I think trailblazer. Let's trailblazer. Yeah. trailblazer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't mean, yeah, I guess that's... Uh, I get it. I get it. I'm trying to, yeah. Right. Uh, but, but that's an emotional reaction to the position here. And I mean, I, she's constantly asked about it. Um, and, and that can be emotionally uncomfortable. And, and this definitely, having Mars hit your moon three times is not like, you don't think of that as a, a teddy bear and a warm glass of milk. No, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much probably the worst moniker possible for this time. <laughs> you know, uh, as, <laughs> generally. <laughs> yeah, the, that will be the nickname for 2020 a teddy bear and a warm glass of milk. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, another thing I might say about this Mars retrograde, um, well, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know, I almost don't know if I want to bring it up, but, you know, the, basically, you know, uh, this doesn't necessarily have to do with Kamala's heart, Kamala's charts per se, but, um, just it to do with like synodic cycles of Mars. You know, the last time Mars was retrograde yeah. in Aries was 1988, uh, in October of 1988 through November. So a similar kind of deal is today. Now Mars was retrograde much earlier in the sign at that time, but uh, kind of at least in the United States, the significance of that transit seemed to coincide with basically at the time of the conventions, Dukakis seemed invincible against H.W. Bush, but then Mars went retrograde and H.W. Bush somehow managed to, he, so he basically, his campaign got really, really mean. They, uh, you know, there was the whole controversy over that uh, Willie Horton ad, uh, the sort of dredging up of, um, you know, obviously, you know, racial resentment politics. And uh, uh, it really, it dramatically shifted the, the, the race toward uh, toward H.W. Uh, Bush. So it was kind of the Mars retrograde in that time seemed to describe a time when like the expectation was that H.W. Bush was absolutely not going to win. Because remember at that time, it was eight full years of Reagan. And so, you know, it, it would be kind of going against the patterns of history for H.W. Bush to be able to proceed. But instead, you know, he... Uh, Ronnie, was who to... was a lot less popular than people seem to remember. If you go right. back and look at Ron Reagan's um, performance right. throughout his eight years, it's not a sparkling uh, no. trail of excellence. But uh, I, if folks don't know, there were two people that ran uh, HW's campaign. One's name was uh, Lee Atwater, who is, who is deceased. And the other guy is a guy named Roger Ailes. I'm not sure if people are familiar. The guy who oh, created the, Fox the, News. the former Fox News host. Right. right. Yeah, he was. He, yeah. Uh, and those were the two that went about assassinating Michael Dukakis's 
um, essence, basically. They basically destroyed him, and Dukakis didn't do much to counterpunch. Um, right now, I, I feel like the Mars retrograde has a lot more to do with the current president dousing himself in gasoline and lighting himself <laughs> on fire than right. like Lee Atwater lighting Michael Dukakis on fire. But, yeah, I mean, that's a great, really important thing to point out. Um, right. Um, well, it just, because it just, I mean, obviously, if we were to apply that to, to today, then we would say, oh, this person that no one thinks could win, you know, actually does. Um, but uh, but then I don't think there's anyone that thinks that Trump can't win. Except, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think Trump could still win, but I mean, based on my work with Zadok releasing, which I have I've now put out into the public view, you know, I think he... I think he doesn't. I think he doesn't win. Um, but uh, spoiler alert! Yeah, Come well, on, let's, uh, yeah. let's leave. Him. <laughs> all right, sorry, sorry. Uh, well, and, well, because because all right. Here's another interesting thing. So when you look at the Mars retrograde in Aries of 1973, um, that was when the vice president Spiro Agnew resigned. Um, that was when, I mean, literally, <laughs> the Mars retrograde in Aries of September through November of 1973. That was when uh, basically Nixon uh, sacrificed his vice president to try to avert Watergate. Um, so, I mean, this this is a time that can be you know punctuated by these uh, kind of acts of sabotage or portray you know these big sort of martial story. And so, um, there isn't necessarily a totally common theme aside from you know something sort of vaguely martial. Uh, there are some other themes that do have seemed to recur, uh, that do seem to be recurring, but um, at least when applied to the political, U.S. political sphere, it seems like it's kind of about these, uh, um, uh, at least the 1973 and 1988 examples yeah, seem to be about these uh, kind of savage political moments. Um, but, I like uh, that. <laughs> yeah, the 1973 one is a bit more hopeful, right? Um, so what I want to uh, get into now, um, and I, I think that the rest of the examples we have for Kamala are all going to kind of lean in the same direction, is the fact that I I think that astrologically, uh, Uncle Joe could not have made a better choice. And now we're going to talk about um, some of the ways the rest of the transits are hitting a, a Kamala's chart. We're going to look at her progressions. We're going to get her zygdiacal releasing. But for me, this entire cycle has focused on 22 degrees Capricorn. That, that's, yeah. And that, that for me is the focal point of the meat grinder, the COVID clump, whatever you want to call the pileup of Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter in Capricorn. Uh, that's the, the spot where... The, te <laughs> the, teddy, the teddy bear that blows up. Um, and so what we see in Kamala's chart is two things. Number one, we see she, her Jupiter is at 24 um, Taurus, which is currently and for the next three weeks going to be trining, actually really for like the next six weeks, going to be trining Saturn but within a degree. And we see at 17 degrees, uh, Virgo, which is a loose trine to that Jupiter, we see her Venus, and that is making an exact trine to uh, Jupiter in Capricorn. So we're seeing her benefics intimately connected with uh, all the business going on 
in positively. Form. Yes, in a positive way. Yeah, uh, the, the energy is flowing in a useful manner. Uh, and I would even point out that we have a one of the nicer uh, lunations of the year, which isn't really saying that much given the year, <laughs> taking place tomorrow on the 17th of September at 25 degrees uh, Virgo. We have uh, a new moon, and it's going to be uh, almost exactly trine Saturn. And that's going to be forming a grand Earth trine with uh, Kamala's uh, natal Jupiter. So when the stuff lands during this time period, from now until uh, the inauguration, it is hitting uh, Kamala in a way that either she can deal with or it's something useful, it's a positive aspect, it's, it, it's what, it, it, she's having a notal return in her first house. Um, it, it, it's all coming up Kamala. Again, am I, I being I too have, rosy about this? <laughs> I, have, uh, I have something to say about, about the node situation. So Please. one thing that I kind of noticed, <laughs> noticed, <laughs> uh, one thing I kind of noticed over <laughs> my time, <laughs> over my time of looking at like presidential candidate charts, Something that I thought was really interesting is even if the candidates didn't win, that they often had the transiting nodes like in the first house or coming upon the midheaven or the tenth house, but or uh, especially when they lost, um, they, there would be uh, candidates who would have the uh, the south node coming up on the ascendant or the midheaven, and so. It's something that I just kind of noticed here and there. Like, for example, Obama has Aquarius rising. He won in 2008 when the North Node was in Aquarius. That's where all the eclipses happened on the North Node in his first house. Then in 2012, it had reached Scorpio, his 10th house, and that was when he was reelected. And then when he left office in 2017, that was when the North Node had reached Leo, his 7th house. So we could see the movement of the North House, sorry, new movement of the North Node through the houses above the horizon as basically his time, you know, in the public eye. Uh, it just happens to coincide with an approximately eight-year period because it's, you know, about 19 years um, that, uh, the, that the nodes return, or 18.6 or what have you. So it's, uh, so it's kind of interesting because then I started kind of looking back and seeing more examples of this kind of happening over and over again. Um, it seems like the candidates who have the North Node rising towards the Ascendant or the Midheaven tend to have a better chance of winning than when, they're, when, they're, when their opponents have the South Node rising or culminating at the time of the elections. And actually, this is one of the big things I overlooked with Trump because I was so focused on the fact that his uh, late degree Ascendant you know, was the, is the very end of Leo. So always thinking of his first house as Leo. Well, the North Node through 2016 was in Virgo. And as you know, Virgo goes backwards. So it's slowly creeping up towards his ascendant in 2016. Now, what's kind of interesting is that in 2020, um, because the North Node will be in, in Gemini, it's technically uh, in his 11th house, but it is also kind of making its way towards his, his midheaven, but it doesn't get there anywhere near there in time for the inauguration. It doesn't get to Taurus because his midheaven is in, in late Taurus. So 
um, it's kind of interesting. So you can sort of see how it would kind of explain 2016, but not really explain 2020. Now, the weird thing, though, is that, I mean, if I were just comparing Trump versus Biden just on this factor alone, I think we'd actually probably have to say that Biden would lose in some respect because Biden has Sagittarius rising. So the South Node is in Sagittarius. So this is not what we would expect for a winner. This is like Jimmy Carter when he had the South Node coming up in, in 1980. This is a, yeah, this is, is a lot like one of some of these other examples of the South Node coming up in the first house or on the, on the 10th house, which coincides with a, a loser. However, what I, what I can't make sense of is the fact that here we have Kamala. And actually it's interesting because I actually have, I actually have Twitter evidence of this and I said, I said, all right, Kamala's having, because no, I talked about this before on Twitter where I noticed a thing about the nodes. And I said, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens with Kamala. This is like late, maybe even last year. I said, I wonder what's going to happen with Kamala because she's going to have the nodes rising at the time. And I, I said, the winner of the election is really ideally someone who has Gemini rising or on the midheaven because the nodes will be in Gemini around the time of the election, the inauguration. And so lo and behold, you know, it seems like Kamala's in the wings, but how do we make sense of the fact that Biden has the, this, the transit of a, of a loser, but the VP has like the seemingly the, the winning transits It's kind of odd because it makes you wonder, is there a reason for that? It would, would, would Kamala have, um, have would the circumstances be such that she would have to take on potentially a greater role than initially anticipated? Um, I realize it kind of gets into some murky waters. I don't want to make insinuations that, you know, I, that are, you know, uh, controversial, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but I'm just pointing out like, this is what astrology tells us. And then the challenge for us is to figure out how does that actually apply in practice? Like, and this, you'll, we'll actually see this theme kind of repeated in some ways by the Zodiac releasing um, the notion that there's something that's much seemingly much more important about this moment for Kamala Harris than for Biden, paradoxically. I um, agree. And it's one of the reasons I love the pick. She, she is an astrological talisman at this time. One way I think you could look at that is that Biden worked his whole life to become president. He's, if he has a shot, He's going to finally get it. He's, chances are he's not going to run for a second term. Um, folks aren't going to look at him the same way folks have looked at other presidents. He will, he will have won um, kind of despite of his position in life. If anything, his time as the VP might be what's thought of more, you know, more about his life than his one term as president of the United States. It's, it's the, you know, the South Node is kind of the outdoor it's sort of, it's almost like him tipping his hat to his career. It, well, that's honestly what it kind of looks like. Like I said, you know, if this were just about, if this were only about, you know, where the nodes are in relation to a chart, then I'd say that, okay, well, this probably looks more like a Trump uh, win than a, than a Biden win, just based on that. But there are, there are outliers. Um, for example, uh, Bill Clinton in uh, 1992 had the South Node in his uh, 10th house. Pardon me. But the interesting thing to consider with Bill Clinton is the fact that... Ross the, Perot. 
Well, there was Ross Perot, so there was another character in that, but also the the president at that time, H. W. Bush's, um, you know, was having like kind of a, a sad nodal transit. So he was kind of coming to the end of his thing. So even though Bill Clinton wasn't even necessarily in a great place, his VP Gore did have uh, oh. um, did have a, a better uh, nodal placement, I believe in that time. I'm trying to remember the exact um, situation. But then in 1996, that was when Bill Clinton finally did have the nodes at his ascendant, and then he, you know, he was reelected without a hitch. That's the other interesting thing to remember about Bill Clinton is that he didn't win the last time by majority; he won by plurality. Uh, I don't know if that like, counts in this, um, but it is interesting to to consider these sort of outlier examples of the this uh, sort of nodal theory of um, of uh, electing winners. And I think the the astrological reason why this kind of makes sense is that you know the north node is where the moon's path goes north of the sun, so it's that upwardly trending point. Uh, it shows what sort of coming into favor in the world or what's being what's on the way up as opposed to like you said the exit you know on the south node what's on the way down what's what's um you know what's kind of falling out of favor um, this is great because we have so much juicy stuff and we we almost got like bonus node content all right <laughs> no so problem. i want to quickly go through um uh kamala's progressions just real quickly because i think sure. they're so uh important and then also look at her solar return again not because i think these are uh the most go-to omens for me all the time although i do like uh progress moons um just because they're they're so startling that every place you look uh you really see uh, a factor um pointing towards positivity so when we go to uh, Kamala's secondary progressions. What we see is, uh, we see the moon. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Is this the? Is this the? This is secondary... her secondary secondary progressions. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I thought it was from the return. But... No. No. Oh, no. 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 I, I had that fixed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> good. Good. So what we see is we see uh, Kamala's sun is in the fifth house in Sagittarius, and we see that her moon is approaching full, which would be her eleventh house. But currently, it's in her 10th house, the house where the native is most apparent to the world, in Taurus. So her moon is exalted, uh, the moon's right. favorite place to be. And uh, closing a conjunction with Jupiter, five degrees from Jupiter. So over. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to beat that. Um, and if folks who don't know, um, the progressed moon is really a handy way to uh, just get a glimpse at what's going on in a native's life and it and you follow the moon in the same way you normally would a new moon uh, kind of a new venture first quarter you see how things are opening up um, the direction things are going to go full is kind of the culmination of of the event that took place um, and, and so forth uh, what's important to note about this though is that really if you're tracking your progress moon those just those periods of time when the moon ingresses into a new sign tend to be notable. Um, and here we see that the moon is almost approaching full, which is going to happen next that's, year. That's not an ordinary full moon. Okay. Check it out. Check out how close it's going to be to 
the node. The North node. Yeah. Right. Right. So That's it's actually a, so it's actually a lunar eclipse by progression, uh -huh. not just uh, <laughs> not just an ordinary. That's no moon. <laughs> Um, correct, correct. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's in the 10th house, the house of career, where the natives most apparent to the world, exalted, conjoined Jupiter, moving towards fullness, which is going to happen next year, where it's going to be conjoined the nodes, and she's going to have uh, a full lunar eclipse in her chart. I mean, I'll take Any it. Any astrologer worth a dollar would have said, <laughs> this is going to be a moment in your life, when she's born at, at three seconds old. Like, like, circle this date on the calendar. Absolutely. Um, I might also add that that is, um, that's pretty close to the position, to the, uh, that, that the lunar eclipse should be very close to the position of a natal ascendant. And a certain person's son. Right. I believe mm -hmm. a certain orange person's son. Is very close to that degree as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, very uh, interesting. I had not, I had not looked at uh, uh, progressions. This is uh, all very right. Interesting. So we just wanted to look at this quick, just to point out that when I say Kamala Harris's uh, astrology makes her like a, a talisman of goodness. All right. So one more thing I want to point to before we get to the zodiacal releasing, and that is uh, Kamala's uh, return. And uh, so her solar return for the year, uh, her birthday being October 20th, uh, is coming up. It's going to be right before the election. Um, what we see here um, isn't necessarily as beautiful and as bountiful as, um, as what we've seen in other places. But what two things I really like. First of all, she's got the moon in the first house. Um, and she, so reflected light, right? She's the, she's trying to be the vice president and the moon is in the first house. Her, her, this chart has Sagittarius rising. Joe Biden's chart is Sagittarius rising. Around moon. three degrees Sag. Right, right. It's That's almost really identical. Close. Yes. So this is five degrees Sag. She has, uh, Venus in the 10th house. So the place most apparent to the world again. Um, exactly square that moon, so making contact, or one degree off, making contact with the moon. Um, this is just a really pleasant um, solar return. Now, let's keep in mind, um, this is a terrible year to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, um, anything, anything you want to share about this? Yes. Uh, yeah, I would also want to point out that the solar eclipse on the day the Electoral College meets is around 23 degrees of Sagittarius. Um, oh, yeah. You know, right. Which is mm -hmm. right on that moon <laughs> in the uh, solar return. Um, so I would say that's, you know, kind of a big deal. <laughs> and, and Venus trying Pluto. Um, right. I mean... Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you'd almost uh, expect or, or something. It's a, it's a, um, it's very kind of eerie that it uh, lines up that way. The nodes are, uh, are I really think it's December, in. I think it's December 14th um, that uh, the, the eclipse happens. It's on the day of the Electoral College. Happy birthday to Kamala. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty cool uh, similar time in progression. So that's awesome. Again, keep in mind, this is a terrible year to be alive. Uh, right. Somehow Kamala pulled off a solar return that is really the envy of almost any human being that had a birthday this year. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is a little bit of something is a little scary is the fact that, you know, she is uh, going to be in and she's going to be entering a ninth house perfection. Uh, so that's going to be highlighting Saturn and Aquarius. And so we can see that Saturn at the time of the solar return is approaching a dead square to her son. Um, I mean, that's, I, there are, I guess there are a few ways you can potentially read that. Uh, but, it, you know, the sun is in the 11th. Uh, so we'd say that this Saturn is a, something, I guess, very grave about the, uh, about these developments. It's not like, even even though there's a lot of things in her child to speak to kind of a happy time, I would think that there's or or a successful time perhaps. It is something that's very uh, I don't know, just very serious or sad or tragic even about the these developments. Um, so I would kind of I mean and like that kind of feeds into a few of the further flung out ideas um, you know I've been having about potential outcome of the election but it's just one of the things that i would notice the perfected rule of the year heading into a square with a son like uh since that son is in the 11th of political allies like that's uh i don't know maybe one it's way, one way we can look at this is this is really a careful what you wish for sort of position she's in because if right. she wins, she gets to help take over a country in the middle of a pandemic and... Worst, uh, if, if it's yeah. the worst year to be alive, I'm sure it's the worst time right. to be in charge of it. There's an I economic mean, crisis. Chances are we're going to have more people who have been evicted in the last six months than at any time before since the Great Depression. Um, there's going to be some kind of, uh, of nonsense uh, if and when they win from the right. Um, this isn't going to be, this transition of power is going to be dicey at the very best. Right. So I would, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like there is that, um, uh, you know, with Venus, you know, culminating, uh, or having culminated Venus in the 10th, I mean, that, that does speak to a kind of um, uh Victory, I guess you could say that's the, but but it I, I know I when I look at solar return charts I, I try to check especially you know what the what the ruler of the year is kind of doing what it's going to do and obviously the fact that it's um, her contrary to psychological now I did say that her Saturn has a few good factors associated with it it's not all bad but I mean this is not the easiest uh, planet for her. And we know that Saturn will also be entering Aquarius December 19th, just days off of that. So it's but, almost so, like suddenly she'll have the weight of the world on her shoulders. Yeah. One could say that. Well, I have a bit more to say on that too when we look at the release. I mean, it's all painting a picture of something not great, but um, Kind of, uh, I guess. Well, well, I guess I, I'll. Maybe you, yeah, let's go. Let's go. 
Uh, when do you want to get to that during the Zodiacal releasing? Or when uh, did, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, okay. yeah, I'll, maybe I'll address that because then, then I present me because then we'll kind of have seen all of the evidence, like you know, we'll, we'll have presented everything. And well, why don't we? Why don't why we? Those, why don't we get to those Zodiacal releasing now, and we'll do the fun okay. stuff with Pence at the end. <laughs> okay, that sounds wrong, by the way, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe he has a pool boy somewhere in that history. Just All right, anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's bring up Kamala's stuff. So I'll go ahead and share my screen. Yep. Oh, it it says that you have disabled participant screen sharing. You may have to let me. That's uh, that's funny because I guarantee that I did not do that. Um, <laughs> let's see. Allow. There. Try now. All right. I will try now. Okay. The new Zoom like... rules, the anti-hacking Zoom rules have gotten me again. All right. So I don't know how this is going to show up in your final recording because I'm using my, my wide boy uh, screen here. But uh, in any case, so this is Kamala Harris charts. And so the way... So here are some of my initial considerations that I would take into account with um, her Zodiacal releasing. So um, she was born at night with the moon above the horizon. And so Valens would say that that qualifies for using the regular calculation. Um, now, there are a few things that Serapia would say about her moon that would probably cause him to think that like fortune should be held to be maybe predominant, perhaps uh, the fact that it's in its opposite sign, sorry, that it's in a fire sign, the fact that it's in the bounds of Saturn, uh, a contrary to certain planets uh, and so forth. But I'm going to, those rules have been kind of touch and go. I haven't really seen those always kind of pan out. One of the other things that Valens might take into account is the fact that the ruler of a lot of fortune and a lot of spirit are ruled by a cadent planet, uh, this Jupiter, which is cadent both relative to fortune and to the ascendant. Um, but in that case, I'm not sure <laughs> which one he would say uh, predominates because they're both ruled by the same planet. So for now, after taking that into consideration, I'm just going to use lots as is. Uh, just to, you know, this is where, this is kind of how I've had the best results with Kamala Harris' chart. I've been taking some of those conditions into account more since everything that happened with Trump's chart, just because his chart simply worked better when you release the lot, reverse the loss. But in any case, um, so the other thing we have to consider is that Valence has this weird rule that when the lot of fortune and spirit are in the same sign, as they are when someone is born at a new moon or a full moon, uh, you actually release spirit from the next sign. So if fortune is, and spirit are both in Sagittarius, then we release spirit from the next sign, Capricorn. So we're going to be measuring angularity to the mutable signs of Sagittarius, Pisces, Gemini, and Virgo. And we would say that these peaks would probably be pretty good because Venus, the benefic of the sect in favor, the best or most fortunate planet in the chart, is uh, angular to the fortune angles. We would probably be 
most wary about the uh, the fixed signs because they contain the malefics. But like we've already said, the malefics aren't always quite as bad. We would also say that Jupiter's angularity to the fixed signs might also assist in alleviating. There'd be some redeeming factor to those periods as well. Uh, when it comes to the um, the cardinal periods, uh, we just see that these are highly regarded with the sun and moon. So I would just think that those might have that additional uh, contributing factor of uh, public attention or raised esteem or what have you, especially since that moon is so bright uh, as the second light in Aries. So with no further ado, so if we release from, uh, from Capricorn, then we can see that the first 27 years of her life were under the purview of this Capricorn period and ruled by this Saturn. And those usually, these periods of time that are so long, um, are going to be uh, times where someone maybe is working more in obscurity or behind the scenes, more uh, diligently, um, sort of hard at work. It's, it's not, uh, uh, it's a, because Saturn is that planet associated with sort of ascetism and uh, being more uh, almost hermit-like or monk-like. Now, um, there's a lot of things we could say about this time, but basically, the, one of the most important periods of this uh, one of the most important periods in this 27-year period is this completion period, starting April 7th, 1990 to June 1st, 1991, because that was when she basically reached the uh, logical conclusion of all of her work during that Capricorn period in becoming a deputy district attorney. So this is really the beginning of her legal career that sort of um, the, the sort of uh, tied up with a bow at the end of that period. So then she goes into this cadence period with, uh, you know, this uh, cadence satin period. Now, it's interesting because cadence periods aren't always inactive, but one way we can look at cadence periods is that they are uh, prepar preparatory periods. The events taken or the actions undertaken during the, these uh, cadent periods are leading us up to the main events of the angle. So we would say that everything that she's accomplished during this Aquarius period is all leading up to kind of the main events of the Pisces period. So this gets really, really weird because we can see that, I mean, this Aquarius period began June 1st, 1991, basically right after she got her first sort of big legal job. And this encapsulates her entire career up to this point. And it ends on Christmas Day, 2020. Uh, <laughs> that is when she enters her 12-year um, Pisces period. Now, this is, this is really weird because... Like we'd almost expect like an angular period like this to take place maybe a little earlier, like uh, maybe on the time that she, you know, the election happens. Um, or maybe the reason why uh, this Pisces period is happening a little later is because this is actually closer to the time that um, power is assumed. I mean, you know, the congressmen don't even you know, swear into their new positions until the beginning of the year. So maybe the later um, 
angular period is kind of switching into that is is uh, reflective of that. But the other kind of weird thing is, I mean, uh, it's there are there are a few ways you could look at that. If if for some reason Biden lost, I guess we could say that this period of time would be still important for her because this would have raised her profile to the point that she could probably make another run for the presidency by herself. On the other hand, if like I've been suspecting, there might be a a reason her angular period is beginning in December 2020 as opposed to like when she became president herself, like maybe the reason would be because Biden was somehow incapacitated um, and this would kind of unexpectedly launch Kamala Harris into, you know, the presidency. Um, and this is uh, obviously a really kind of controversial idea. I mean, um, there's lots of reasons it could happen. It could be health related, given the state of affairs of the country now, I guess it's not totally unreasonable to rule out uh, assassination or something like that. But I'm not saying that on an astrological basis. That's me trying to think of a real-world scenario that could potentially explain this sort of timing that we're seeing from Kamala Harris to Shah. We'd probably I mean, some- it's not that ridiculous to think that if we vote on the 3rd of November uh, and it takes... I mean, it takes in Washington and California a couple weeks for ballots to get counted. Uh, and we're going to see a lot more states counting ballots that got mailed in this year and states that don't have the same infrastructure as an all-mail-in ballot state like Washington State. Um, so the idea that it takes a couple weeks for us to really know the answer isn't that weird. And- that isn't that weird, but the Electoral College must convene by December 14th or 15th, whenever, whatever that date, it's like December 13th or 14th. Right, but if you stretch it out with a legal fight. <laughs> yeah, I right? mean, maybe it takes that long. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there, like, there are any number of things. I guess what we can say most accurately is that according to Zodiac releasing, Kamala does not actually reach the the biggest event, the main event, until after December 5th, uh, 2020. Now, here's how I see how her, her ZR works. Okay, we didn't really go into like any of the sub-periods here, but I think there are some really interesting, um, there are some really interesting uh, correspondences here. So, she began her ran, her run for San Francisco District Attorney uh, in 2002. That's when she launched her campaign. And that was while she was in a Virgo period, which is the 10th sign from her fortune, which is the, uh, the biggest peak that one could uh, have, or that she could have with, with her uh, fortune in Sagittarius. And the actual election itself, um, I believe it would be November of uh, 2003. So it took place after she, after she entered this Libra period, uh, which is the succeeding period. So usually the events undertaken during the angular period then come to completion when you get to the uh, succeeding sign. So in this case, it seems that the launching of the campaign occurred during the angular period, but then she actually won it, you know, carrying through to the succeeding period. This is interesting because she encounters Virgo again in uh, from April 22nd, 2010 
through to December 13th, uh, 2011. And I believe it's in 2010, in November of 2010, that she was elected as the California Attorney General. So it's interesting because we basically have this connection between these two Virgo periods, these two peak periods, where on the one hand, she uh, you know, won the primary to become the uh, San Francisco district attorney. And then the loosed version, the transformed version of that period coincided with her becoming the same thing, but on a larger level, the state level that the, you know, the attorney general for the state of California. Um, so that's, that's kind of a cool correspondence. But what do we make about the fact that she is currently in an Aries, a loosed Aries subperiod? June 28th, 2020 through December 25th, 2020, that's when she's in this very, very lost itty bitty Aries period. Well, according to the logic of the technique, you would say that there would be events in this time which would hearken back to the events of November 12th, 1994 through February 5th, 1996, because that was the last time she had an Aries uh, subperiod. So what's really interesting is I looked back and try to see what happened in that time. And <laughs> um, it's really interesting because on November 29th, 1994, it was reported that that, that was when she got those, that appointment by the San Francisco mayor who she was having a relationship with at the time. Uh, and remember, this is Aries, her 11th house where the yeah. full moon is, okay? So she got that really big political appointment she, she was appointed to a position, not elected, but appointed to a position by a political ally, okay? So when she got to the transformed version of that Aries period, she, it, it was in August of 2020, you know, and presumably with interviews leading up to that point that she was again selected by a political ally, uh, the full moon in Aries, uh, appointed to a position, uh, a high position in in uh, in uh, her career, so it's um, that's kind of the connection that I see, at least according to ZRS, like how potentially we could have predicted that, you know, just like in this Aries period, she, you know, she had this, uh, she was appointed to a position by a political ally, and then again in the loose Aries, uh, appointed to a, a position, but like a really really big one, right? And like a huge. <laughs> Why you know this is like a massive, uh, but it was just, but it's the same sort of underlying dynamic of uh, of uh, those uh, two periods, and that oh yeah, the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is of course it was the you know it was during this Pisces period that she was running her own campaign for president. Uh, so this Pisces period is basically the last example we have of her, uh, of what she was doing during a Pisces period, even though it's in the context of various major period. So it's very interesting then that she will be entering a Pisces major period because it would suggest that her campaign for presidents is the foreshadowing event for what this 12 year period would be about. Now, <laughs> um that that would suggest now that's another kind of strange thing because how could someone run i mean it's, she could run three times you know it's not going to be you know i think that rule states 
right? You know, the, the two-time rule. I know Trump doesn't care for it that much, but I think, you know, we're all agreed, you know, that two times enough of any president. And I think if you get the, if you're the vice president, you become president after the second year that the president's in office, you can then run two more times. So you can so what actually I, serve three terms, but so you have to. I've, you got it. So, all right. So, <laughs> it's I, I, mean, years. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I, I can't say like that it would be 12 years, but I, but I mean, I'm just saying like one of these scenarios that would fit this pattern would be that, say, she is inaugurated as the vice president, but then President Biden would get uh, incapacitated. She would have to serve up the rest of the term as president and then would be legally able to run for two terms herself. So she could, in theory, govern for nearly 12 years. <laughs> um, that we're, I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's something that would fit. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, but, but I do think that that would be a scenario which would fit. One interesting thing I have to mention is uh, another, uh, one person's chart that this reminded me of, and this is a really weird uh, uh, analogy, I think, but um, another politician who was born with Gemini Rising, who this chart reminds me a lot of, is uh, Tony Blair. Um, oh. So Tony Blair was born with Gemini rising, and he also has Jupiter and Taurus in the 12th house. And so what I think is kind of interesting about that is, you know, Jupiter is the ruler of the 10th. So one thing in common between Kamala Harris and <laughs> Tony Blair is that they both have Gemini rising and they both have Pisces in the 10th place. And so they both have Jupiter ruling the 10th house in the place of the 12th. And one of the things that I think is kind of interesting, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to kill you, Patrick. Uh, uh, I want to make so many uh, Bush's laptop jokes. Uh, so, so one of the, um, so one of the weird things about this, just because we're talking about these kind of extreme scenarios is the fact that one of the other reasons that Tony Blair became prime minister is because the head of the Tory part, the head of the Labour Party died. And that was how he was able to get to become uh, head of the Labour Party. I did not know that. Uh, so it was, and he has the mid heaven in the eighth place because he has a really extreme, but so I thought it was kind of interesting because at the time that that person died, he had Uranus transiting over his mid heaven. Um, in the eighth house. And so he suddenly became, you know, through a sudden death, uh, he became uh, leader of the uh, Labour Party. But I do think it's interesting because the other way this, the other way this kind of shakes out is, you know, the 12th house is the house of enemies. And one of the other ways that Tony Blair it was, one other thing he's kind of known for in his rise is the fact that he made a pact with Gordon Brown, his longtime political ally, oh, yeah. uh, also rival, uh, where he would run for two terms and then he would voluntarily step down and then let Gordon Brown take over. And then he actually reneged on that. He betrayed his friend. Um, and so he kind of, through the betrayal of a friend or through the 
uh, through, uh, I guess, um, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, through this topic of rivalry or enemies, uh, he was able to <laughs> kind of get ahead by kind of, um, you know, stamping on, on Gordon Brown. So, it, and then, of course, the, the other thing kind of sucks about that is, uh, of course, he, his own... Um, you know, he eventually had to resign from the prime ministership in disgrace because of his handling of the Iraq war. You know, if only that could have happened in the U.S. Uh, and uh, that's, that was when his friend was finally able to take over. But the reason why this kind of connects to Kamala Harris is again is because the amount of time that Tony Blair was prime minister was approximately just under 12 years. And he, that was his fortune 10th period. When he entered his fortune tenth period, he became prime minister, and then he ran for he he uh, ended up resigning just like a couple months before the end of the time period, before the end of the the major period. So it's it's very similar to Kamala Harris because she's entering this big peak period, which while it's not her fortune tenth, it is her natal tenth. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's still hats still going to carry those connotations of high achievement or a high position in one's career um and the uh so essentially they have the same jupiter placements they're both going into these jupiter ruled angular periods um and uh blair kind of got to where he was through some interesting uh agreements made with friends but he actually had to betray them uh got to where he was because of a because of a, a death. Um, so it kind of, I don't know, it just makes you wonder if there might be any kind of parallel to Kamala Harris's experience um, due to some of those similarities. <clears throat> Not to play into your Kamala Harris is going to be president for 10 years conspiracy theory, but um, we see Pisces in the 10th. Pisces ruled by Jupiter, the greater benefic. And just about the time we get to that two-year cutoff period, Jupiter will be in the third decade of Pisces in her 10th house. <laughs> that is that is correct. Um, <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, Jupiter will reach that degree around uh, May, actually. But that, that kind of leads us to another, um, you know, important transit here is, you know, we know, like I said, she will be as of her birthday she will be in an Aquarius eighth house perfection. Sorry, ninth house perfection. Mm -hmm. She's currently in an eighth house perfection, uh, but she will be entering a ninth house perfection. And of course, it's going to highlight legal matters, travel, international issues, or international uh, places, or you know, religion. So I would imagine that, um, I mean, obviously, if you become a vice president, you do do a lot of travel. Uh, it is a political role. Um, this is also the Saturn return of her joining, I think, the bar, California bar. So it's kind of a, a restatement or the kind of Saturn return, the Saturn fulfillment, the Saturnian fulfillment of uh, the you know the the beginning of her career in law, sort of culminating at the time of the Saturn return with this huge. Uh, legal role or role in the realm of politics. Uh, so we can really tell this Saturn ingress into her ninth house on December um, on December 16th is really the 
that's kind of one of the key transits we'd be looking at for that entire year. Um, and uh, those are the themes that we were kind of expected to bring up. And this is just so interesting because this is all happening at the same time. Everything's happening at the same time. Like there's this, <laughs> this lunar, so, the, so there's a solar eclipse uh, at 23 degrees of Sagittarius on December 14th. I believe that's on the same day as the Electoral College. And then right after that, um, Saturn moves into the ninth house. I guess one of the other ways that we might see this play out or one scenario that might explain this is, um, you know, perhaps it's, perhaps it's sort of all in, in doubt, you know, up until the time of the electoral college, you know, maybe um, the uh, aftermath of the election sort of, sort of been settled then or something until that point. So it's almost like that's when things can sort of move forward in some sense, because that Jupiter Saturn conjunction in general really has the, the connotation I think of a, a page being turned, you know, a new chapter. Um, whereas I feel like Trump term two would be sort of like, you know, a continuation, you know, of the chapter. Whereas, you know, Jupiter Saturn in a brand new sign, a brand new conjunction, it feels like the beginning of a new story altogether. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to knock on wood. Um, okay. <clears throat> that was super fun. Just to reiterate for folks. We talked about her nativity uh, being power packed and how the transits were really well aligned with it for this year, especially given how tumultuous the year was. We talked about her secondary progressions really um, being exceptional uh, and her moon heading towards full, uh, towards her north node. We talked about her solar return being positive. It's not weighty, but they're weighty times. And then what Patrick was just talking about is her Zodalka releasing hitting a peak period again in her 10th house of Pisces uh, and 10th house being um, the native's career being thought of as uh, kind of the most benefic place in uh, a native's chart. When you look at where the natives thought of, uh, you know, throughout their uh, incarnation for lack of a better term, we look at the 10th house. Um, so um, there really, you know, there's tough times, but there really aren't very many negatives for, uh, Kamala, in fact, kind of the opposite. Right. I mean, like I said, the only things that the thing that I guess the things that kind of stick out to me is things that I would worry about for her is the fact that in general, her Saturn is the contrary to Sekulafic. It is retrograde. It does have Mars kind of applying in opposition, even though Jupiter is sort of interrupting that. Uh, and then Saturn, the perfected planet, is making that square to her sun. Um, in late, uh, I guess, November or December. And so, you know, that will be happening from the 8th to the 7th and the 5th. Um, in, the, or in the solar return, that's happening from, you know, the Saturn in the 2nd to the Sun in the 11th. Um, so, I, I that, that transit just looks like a pretty kind of somber or kind of, scary time i mean um because saturn is that planet of i guess um you know the fear response and the kind of security minded response i mean obviously you know i think when you when you are a national candidate for office your life changes you're much more exposed and vulnerable 
you know, to any crazy person and your world becomes very controlled and scripted and uh, you have, you know, people constantly surrounding you, you know, can't even go out, you know, get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you know, without like being you know, followed and, you know, or having someone just get it for you, kind of come under, you know, these, uh, all of these rules and restrictions. Right. Her cell phone's going to get taken away. Let's say she right. wins. She'll have uh, the Secret Service suddenly will be all over her, her spouse, 24/7. her kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess right. that's kind of what, I mean, maybe that's, I mean, that's maybe the most optimistic. <laughs> that's funny uh, that that's optimistic. Like, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the optimistic version of that transit. Um, but, uh, because uh, we also have to keep into account too that like Pluto, um, you know, will still be making a square to her sun. In fact, if you remember, you know, 27 degrees of Capricorn is the degree that Pluto was at at the degree of the American Revolution. So essentially the Pluto return will be exactly square Kamala Harris's sun um, in 2022. So that's uh, a pretty huge transit kind of coming up on the horizon. You know, one thing we didn't point out about our nativity uh, that I think is important to point out, because I was talking earlier about how that Mars retrograde over your moon is tough. Uh, it, there's no way to sugarcoat it, although she seems to be someone who has it built into her chart to understand that energy, because she's her, her moon's natally in it, Aries in a Mars-ruled sign, um, etc. Well, natally... Uh, Kamala has a natal trine between her sun and Saturn, and it's within one degree. So her sun is at 27 degrees Libra, and Saturn's at 28 degrees Aquarius. So her, her sun, besides the fact of her sun being in um, the sign of Saturn's exaltation, Libra, it is, is, has a positive connection really closely. And in fact, the Saturn's moving towards that, perfecting that trine, um, in her oh, and actually, stuff. and actually, that Saturn I think would also be coming close to its direct station. Um, it would be about oh yeah, it's eleven days from its direct station. So it's you know that's the kind of more positive end of the Saturn uh, phase you want to be on, you know, rather than the retrograde or the opposition. So my point here isn't that uh, Saturn Sun uh, hard angles are good omens. My point again is that we're looking at someone who has spent their life um, yeah. with her son in contact with Saturn and someone who's, who's, you know, lived close to 60 years developing that relationship. I would also just like to point out something uh, just kind of funny. I noticed, so you know how we said she seems to be someone who kind of really embodies a lot of Mars attributes because of her moon being in Aries and, um, ascendant ruler being in Scorpio. Um, so it just occurred to me that she was born on, on the day of Mars and the hour <laughs> of Mars. And then if you look at her Mercury, she has Mars ruling her Mercury. Mars is the triplicity ruler. Oh, yeah. Mercury. Holy cow. Mars is the, <laughs> it's in the terms of Mars. It's in the face of Mars as well. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, a really martial. Uh, Mercury um, ruling her ascendant. Uh, yeah, ruling her ascendant. So, like, you can kind of tell from these other dignities, like, 
it's just kind of interesting that like there's four of those, you know, on a row of Mars for, for her Mercury. And then the fact that she was born on the day of Mars and the hour of Mars as well. So this is, uh, there's maybe some other ways that we might, um, you know, reach that conclusion that she, uh, yeah, she's pretty martial. <laughs> All right, I've used a ton of your time, but I, I definitely want to get to Pence's chart and to look at okay. the Okay, yeah, let's yeah, look so at the let's, debate real quick. So let's if you have, stop sharing, let's have I'll fun. Share yeah, 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 let's have fun with Pence now, like you said. All right. <laughs> fun with Pence, you know, what everyone talks about. Okay, so I don't have a birth time. Mike Pence, June 7th, 1959, Columbus, Indiana. June 7th, 1959, Columbus, Indiana. And what we see is we have a stellium in Gemini. Now, it's, it's a noon chart, so that, um, that moon might not be in Gemini. It's definitely a new moon, um, which uh, is someone – I love to th – when I think of new moon, I think eager beaver. And, uh, well, Pence is, uh, it has this calm demeanor. He has a really weird career. Like, he was a lawyer. Then he was a TV – uh, no, not TV. He was a radio host, and he was like a combination of an evangelical Christian and a right-wing conservative, like uh, like Rush Limbaugh, but more Bible-y. Um, and so we see the sun uh, in Gemini. We see Mercury um, at home in Gemini. We see the moon in Gemini. Just lots of chattiness. Um, it's just so strange because that really doesn't seem to be the way he comes. He comes off very kind of stoic in some ways. He's the man of little words, the man who isn't seen. But then He's apparently, a slick communicator. Has has a lot then but then yeah, but then in another way, well I guess it's kind of the duality of Gemini. Oh, it's like kind that, of the, yeah. the two sides, you know. So he has his um chatty uh radio host side and then the, you know, kind of silent VP in the shadows side, I guess. Um the other thing I think really that sticks out in this chart, and there's kind of two things. One is um he's got in Leo, uh, a conjunction, uh, Venus is at zero degrees, Leo, and Mars is at three degrees. Um, so there's a lot of juice in Leo. <laughs> and the funny thing, I think, is that while there's no question that uh, he's got, like, the most dude haircut and he wears, like, those really square suits, he kind of has, like, he sort of has soft features. Like, he's not, he's not, like, this chiseled manly man in any kind of way. Um, and I don't even know how to describe him. Like, he, I, I, sort of like Uncle Festa with like a Cisco cap. <laughs> or something. I don't, that's um, great. I, well, I mean, you know, that's that's non astrological, but uh, but um, it. beside the beside the point. Um, but uh, that's um, that's interesting too because. You know, especially with that sort of Venus square Neptune, Mars square Neptune. I mean, yeah. there's, there's so many kind of odd things, I guess you could say about, like, like the story about mm. like how his wife, like how he doesn't like he will never meet alone with another woman, like even professionally. And it's like, is that because is there a story behind that, <laughs> or is or is that just from some kind of I don't know misplaced sense of uh, virtue or something I don't know it's something some very well I mean Neptune tends to be tends to throw some elements of weirdness uh, just some kind of oddities but I just wonder 
Or just hard, is, to, hard to grasp, hard to get your hands around things. Right, because, I mean, Venus conjunct Mars, too, can be, like, you know, social transgressions. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know if there's, like, a, yeah, there's, like, a story behind that or if there, or if it's just, I don't know, kind of fear or suspicion or, uh, I don't know, that's, that's uh, an odd, odd combination. Well, I, I also like to think of that, fancy, as, like, as that rare, as that place where story can come from. It's like the raw story. And I think, I think of Jupiter as the place you put that story, the context together, but Neptune's like just the raw ether. Uh, and you see that square and it's like, where is he coming from with his base impulses of desire and the drive to get it like, Right. Well, because uh, it's, well, I mean, it's hard not to veer into some, uh, I guess, evangelical stereotypes, you know, right. the often, oftentimes the people who are most like kind of obsessed about sex in some ways are doing it out of maybe a sense of shame or something because they themselves have some sort of, you know, lurid fascination or something. There's kind of a, I don't know what to, uh, what the proper term is for that, but it's sort of, I guess you'd call it the evangelical syndrome or something. And I, he, uh, I know he, you know, cause he was, cause, cause I know that, I know that his actions as, as governor of Indiana, he was, he was, uh, he had seemed to go out of his way to make things kind of hard for gay people in the state. He um, did. No, it was, uh, and that was he, his ratings when he got picked to be VP in Indiana were, but like bottom of the basement. I mean, he was like 30% popularity. There was a real chance he was going to lose re-election as governor of Indiana until he was picked as, and then you see how for Trump, he was just a blank slate. He was just the Bible guy who looks like a politician. And then you see that Neptune there again, just just murky and misty, right. um, able to be molded. The well, one last thing, I, it, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that it's kind of interesting. I remember when Trump was still trying to pick who he wanted to be VP and apparently he didn't actually even want a VP because basically he said something like to the effect of how, you know, he only wanted someone who was like himself, but it's kind of interesting because the two last candidates he had for uh, VP was uh, Newt Gingrich and Mike Pence, who Newt Gingrich was also born with sun and Gemini and moon and Sagittarius, just like Trump. And Mike Pence has, you know, sun and Gemini uh, Moon and Gemini, you know, so he, he was kind of looking for a, some sort of, it's almost, I mean, astrologically, it's like he's looking for a reflection of himself. You know, he chose people who had, or was interested in people who had kind of the same, you know, place. He wanted Sun and Gemini, apparently, that was what he was going for. Um, but uh, someone who, who I guess could be his, uh, his Gemini twin or foil or uh, something. Um, Lastly, what I'd like to point to before we compare this to the debate chart <clears throat> is yeah. we've been talking about people's ability to deal with situations given um, things we see in the passivity. And here we see that in Pence's chart, we have <clears throat> uh, Pluto, Trine, Saturn. Now it's, <clears throat> it's about four degrees away, maybe a little closer to three, given uh, the change you have after the numbers. But we see someone who has... Um, Pluto, Trine, Saturn, and the Nativity, both in Earth uh, signs. And we see someone who has been effective, uh, maybe not as a leader, 
but hasn't fallen apart and has been able to navigate uh, their role, given what that role is, during a time when we have Saturn and Pluto in the same, um, making a conjunction, but also in the same decan for a long period of time of an Earth sign Capricorn. Um, so I think this is, is a good example of, um, it's this person's time to um, step forward, because even though this is tumultuous, I, I've been dealing with this kind of juice for a long time. Um, I, I, I know how uh, to row this boat forward. Right. I mean, I, it, it would be so, I mean, yeah, oh, to be a fly on the wall, you know, in the Trump <laughs> White House. But I, it, it kind of makes you wonder maybe how much, um, how much uh, influence he potentially is, is having in the, in the administration. I mean, because, I mean, you know, I mean, Trump is so clearly, you know, this is not really his thing. You know, I mean, for, for all the, you know, sort of negative things you can say about Mike Pence, I mean, at least he was, you know, an actual public servant. He seemed to take public service somewhat seriously, even if he was pursuing insane objectives with it. I mean, it's, uh, he seems to be of a more serious, you know, he's more of a serious uh, uh, contender, you know, as opposed to, just this uh, I, I'm going to say he's more traditional because I yeah. think that Mike Pence is interested in serving the his In particular, his his people, right. I guess. Yeah, and he and he definitely is savvy at that, and uh, and um, and he's been doing it for a long time. All right, so uh, yeah, two more things to get to. I want to look at the VP debate with both these folks. I have the time for the VP debate. It's at October 7th, 2020, 7 p.m. Salt Lake City, Utah. So October 7th, 2020, 7 p.m. Salt Lake City, Utah. With uh, Mars and Aries rising. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. Conjoined the ascendant, right? So we have the, the ascendant is at 17 degrees. So even if we say this starts 10 minutes late, that only makes Mars more on the ascendant. Right. This is going to be feisty as F. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the moon will be back at that twenty-two degrees of Gemini again. So right where like the eclipse has happened, that's right on. Uh, that's also right on. Um, Cammy's ascendant. Moon. Yep. Yep, and th and that's also where the moon is on November third. Right. Right. That's, the moon um, is and right. And right where her. Uh, no, that's not the progressed moon. Yes, that is where her progressed. Her progressed. Uh, ascendant is and where yeah. she's gonna have yeah uh no her progressed uh node when we look yeah. at her progress chart so it's right yeah, that is it's, exactly it's really, that spot it's really yeah it's like 22 to 24 degrees of gemini it's just like a superly super focused uh part of the zodiac here for her and for trump so two things i want to look at that that point out that that really stick out to me and i'd like to hear what you think um, number one, the COVID clump is in the 10th house. So it's going to be front and center. Like all the nonsense is going to be there and it's going to be fought over. In fact, I think it's going to be the cudgel that gets woven around. What I think is really interesting is that Mike Pence uh, has his natal um, Mercury, which is under the beams, but still in uh, Gemini, conjoin that moon that really is, you know, the populace that's really ruling this chart. Uh, in the third house, the house of, that I like to talk about as the house of folk, uh, his people. Um, 
So I think we're going to get a ton of like this, his folksy, diversionary, speaking to his people type stuff. I think that's what we're going right. to see from him. And I think he's going to be all about that. If I recall correctly, I think he might have had a similar transit the last VP debate. I think I remember like the moon being over his Mercury at the last debate back in 2016. I have to go back and check. But I have the transport somewhere, but um, uh, I think I remember that from before. But in any case, yeah, I think that the moon being on his Mercury would definitely be kind of highlighting his powers of speech and persuasion. You know, that's the that's what Mer that's what moon conjunctions to Mercury tends to do. It just happens to be on a super large uh, stage. Um, one other thing I would say about the beginning of the debate especially is that as as Jupiter comes to the midheaven, I think one of the issues that he will probably try to bring up against Kamala will be her record as a prosecutor and the, the issue of uh, maybe not being tough enough on criminals or because she was against the death penalty for a long time. And I have I've drawn a lot of like historical associations with Jupiter and Capricorn periods at these times where issues of justice for prisoners and, and issues of uh, justice around crime and punishment uh, kind of come up in the um, sort of public discourse. So I would think that as Jupiter rises, that would be kind of having to provide a sort of defense of, you know, her uh, anti-death penalty stance and, you know, with, uh, Mike Pence trying to say, you know, you know, this person did X, Y, Z, and you let them live. How dare you? You know, so Mike Pence is going to go after someone for not wanting to kill people. Yeah, you got uh, it. Yeah, you before, got it. <laughs> before we get to Kamala and how she fits in on right. this, uh, I want to make sure we don't overlook the fact that on at this time on the state, uh, transiting Mercury is going to be exactly opposed to transiting Uranus. So, oh, yeah. So there's going to be some kind of communication, potentially an, uh, a glitch with how this comes off electronically. That's an interesting uh, possibility, especially if this is being done more remotely, you know, as opposed to like being on the same stage, uh, especially since Mercury will also be stationed in closer retrograde around the time. Something that this reminds me of actually is back at the 1980 debate between uh, Reagan and Carter. That was the time when Mercury was stationing retrograde in Taurus opposite Uranus in Scorpio. And so there, the, the, there was, yeah, so the debate between, uh, one of the debates between Reagan and Carter in 1980 was essentially with the flipped Mercury positions, Mercury in Taurus opposite Uranus in Scorpio. And at that debate, that was where, um, that was where Reagan, you know, kind of had his uh, uh, famous line that he uttered, you know, saying something like, oh, there you go again, or something like that. Or that's the, the, the line, it's kind of a stupid line in hindsight, I don't know why that made such a big impression. Um, why that is now in the margins of history, but it's like, <laughs> but... Oh, it was flippant but, then, but I mean, what right. could even be flippant nowadays? Right, but it, it's kind of like, it's. it would sort of, um, it would make me... Uh, wonder about uh, what kind of catchphrase, you know, could potentially come out of this particular debate. You know, there's, I mean, 
the memes, we already know the memes are going to be insane, right? I mean, the memes are going to be insane <laughs> for every debate. That really started in 2012, like after like the 2012 debate, um, you know, with Romney and Obama, the Big Bird stuff, like, and that kind of blew up. Like that, the memes will be insane, but the, uh, yeah, the oh, yeah, that, 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 the binders full of women. Yeah, yeah, the, all of those stuff. Yeah, that's now entered the political lexicon. That's sort of, you know, classic uh, Americana stuff now. But um, the, you know, this Mercury Unis opposition at the time of the debate, I think is, that is probably really suggestive of maybe uh, explosive accusations or, um, you know, or uh, a really, uh, a, a kind of, a, a one-liner or something that like just kind of becomes this uh, golden phrase to use, you know, on the, on the level of like, you know, okay, boomer, you know, okay, pants, you know. Uh, something like that. It sort of would be kind of a, um, it would be something like that. I, I would think a, a memorable catchphrase uh, or something. All right. So I want to get to this before we have to depart. And this is Kamala overlaid. Uh, I know folks can't see this, but what we have is, um, we, so it's, it's the same chart for the debate, which means that uh, Mars at 22 Aries is on the ascendant. But with Kamala, her, her moon is it. 27 Aries, so it's in the first house. Um, so Kamala is reflective of the populace in this. This is going to be, she's going to feel at home in a lot of ways. Moon, moon on her ascendant and ascendant on her moon. That's, that's uh, oh, the moon on the ascendant, rather, and uh, uh, the moon and the, on and her And the moon ascendant. on her wow. ascendant, yeah, it's doubling wow. up. So she's going to really be at home. She's going to feel comfortable. Well, and Mercury and Scorpio as well. I mean, that's also yep. pretty much her elements as well. Uh, so it seems like she would be obviously raring to go. And she's um, having her Venus return. It's not, it, it, it isn't exact, but Venus right. will be back in, uh, in Virgo then. Um, so this isn't, <laughs> we've talked about how this is a good time for Kamala. Um, and the other thing I think is really interesting about this for her is that that Mars retrograde is approaching an exact trine with her natal. That's um, what I said. Mars, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's huge, <clears throat> and it's that's ruling her again, ruling her natal uh, Mercury, co the communicator. Um, <clears throat> so I think we're going to get a lot of the folksy Ashuk's dodges from Pence. I think it's going to be second nature to him. Um, but I don't. This is this is a chart of her feeling at home and not letting up, like being merciless and going and going and going. I mean, and this is kind of what she's like feel. good at. <laughs> you yeah, know? I know. This is really... sort of the thing. This is sort of the thing she's got. So I would imagine that she would just. I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, the approach of air to fire, I think, you know, is, you know, in terms of Pence as this kind of airy person versus this more fiery, you know, type of uh, Kamala, um, uh, is to kind of dismiss it as maybe hysteria or something. Right? Like, oh, it's just a bunch of. You know, woo, you know, instead of, I would imagine that would be kind of his uh, approach to it, to kind of, you know, diminish it by saying, oh, you know, it's okay, getting so upset, you know, something like that. Except that her, there you this, go is again. Also, this is also a point, though, where her natal uh, Jupiter, which is in Taurus, a heavy, weighty, earthy Jupiter, is forming an almost exact trine with Saturn at home in Capricorn, a right. weighty, heavy, earthy Saturn. 
So there yeah. is a lot locking this chart to the ground. This is not yeah. just fire. This is not just air. This is a right. full chart. She's really in, you know, I think, I think this is a tough Firing debate. Firing so all Really, it is. And there's an un, there's a ceaseless amount of energy with that Mars trying Mars. Uh, just burning all night. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be amazing. No. <laughs> I, I, I think this is a tough debate for her because right. Pence is a tough, Pence's ah shucks, ah golly affect is hard to deal with. Um, well, it just well, he just refuses to. He's gonna refuse to take responsibility for anything. He's, or you know, he's yeah. You know, he's. Uh, I mean, I guess part of the problem is that the people who are gonna vote for him are also people who just don't care about the things which the other side are upset about. I mean, it's it's. Um, or they like it, but the other side's upset. Right. I mean, well, that they seem to like that more than like anything else. I mean, you know, if. It, they love owning the libs more than they love, I don't know, the common good. <laughs> Governing the country, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, it, he, in some ways, Pence has it easy because all he has to do is basically just, I don't know. Hoosiers don't it. hate. I'll never forget when I saw him on the Sunday shows after they passed the uh, law allowing uh, businesses to discriminate against uh, gay and lesbian, uh, you know, LBGTQ. Folks, and uh, he he got asked a serious question like, "Well, what do we do if people aren't allowed to get essential services?" And his response was, "Hoosiers don't hate." It's like, what does that even mean? I don't. What do you? What are you saying? It, right. Well, and if Hoosiers don't hate, then why do they have a law that kind of allows people to, you know? He just kept repeating. Do hateful things. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't uh, doesn't work. But um, that's kind of the things we. That's kind of the problem with Gemini's. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, you know, Gemini's have a lot of work to do after this is all over. Yeah. Do you hear that, Gemini? Getting, Patrick has a problem with you. <laughs> getting, getting, uh, getting, getting the reputations back to be like the cool mavericks instead of the slippery bastards. You know, who you know avoid or evade, you know, uh, consequences. I guess you said. Well, I had so much fun, Patrick. It took us a minute to get this put together, but I always love talking to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Before, yeah, no, so before I sign us off, please let folks know where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Um, you, can, uh, you can see all my work and articles at www.patrickwatsonastrology. Um, that's P-A-T-R-I-C-K-W-A-T-S-O-N. The word astrology, everyone's presume you can spell that. Dot com. <laughs> uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at p watson astro. So that's p w a t s o n a s t r o. And you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash p watson astro. Uh, so yeah, you can find my articles, my my services. Um, all the information you can find on my website and uh, all of my musings and postings on social media at those places. P. Watson Astro on Twitter. So to sum up uh, Patrick's take, um, Kamala, be careful what you wish for. Uh, Zodak releasing says Trump's going to lose and all Geminis are jerks. <laughs> if I had to, I mean, if I had to summarize it, <laughs> um, if I had to summarize it, 
what is what I think astrology indicates through everything that I have seen is that uh, the election will seem like it's in Trump's favor right at the beginning, right off to November 3rd. In the following week, I think as mail-in ballots get counted, he will have to essentially recant his uh, his victory, but he might try to challenge it in other ways. Um, Biden essentially wins uh, the Electoral College. Uh, and then I, I think that uh, something potentially could happen, I suppose, in December, perhaps after Kamala enters her angular period, that would cause her to become more of a central figure in this whole story. Um, in some ways, perhaps Biden may become incapacitated, and that would cause Kamala Harris to uh, potentially become president. Uh, and again, that's based on the fact that she enters this very angular period at the end of December. 2020. And the reason why I think Trump loses is because on his article releasing, he goes into the same periods that he's always been in when he's dropped out of a presidential race. So that's how, that's how I see it. I see that he, he drops out in some sense uh, in the week after the election. Yeah, so, well, you, thanks so much, Patrick. You heard it here first. And remember, <laughs> a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men.